Lord, that we may see Christ. Amen. So you're in the car. You're waiting. You're waiting for what seems like an age. Because that red light has just been going on forever and ever. And suddenly you see the amber light. So it's a sign. It's time to get ready. You're primed. You're ready. You're in first. Ready to go. Green. Go forwards. <clears throat> Stalled. Okay. So a handbrake on, you know, into neutral. Engine on. Back into first. And it's gone red again. Now, if you've not experienced that in a car, I'm sure you've experienced it in life. Now, it was a year ago, a year this Sunday, one year ago, that we came back into the hall to have our first ever indoor service with singing. Now, one year ago, is that amber light, that expectation, you know, things are going to start moving forward, getting back to normal. Now, in a year on, we, we see an increased cost of living, petrol prices that are through the roof. There's war in Europe. Now, and I think many of us just feel a bit, oh, I'm done, I'm tired. Life seems like it's in limbo. Well, how about us uh, as a church? Now, just over three years ago, we were having discussions and plans, you know, what would it mean if we're going to plant a church north of here, north of Little Paxton, and then COVID hit. A period of limbo. Or perhaps for you personally, there's, there's something that you're going through that you can relate to at this point in time. It feels like doors were opening for you and you're about to step through and move through into things. And for whatever reason, you've been held back. Life seems to stall. Now we're stuck in limbo. How do we live in those times? What does it mean to live in limbo? Now, in our morning series, we've been looking at the life of Abraham. And um, back in Genesis 12, God makes this great promise to Abraham that I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into this great nation. And through you, I'm going to bless all peoples of the earth. And we've seen Abraham trust God at times. Other times, we've seen Abraham take the situation into his own hands to do what seems right in his own eyes. And it seems like the promise is put in jeopardy. And yet God is faithful to his word and he, he brings Abraham back and he sets things back on track. And at the appointed time, Isaac is born. The promised child, just as God has promised. And then last week we were in Genesis 22. And there God tests Abraham and he says, I want the life of Isaac back. And it's this test. What is Abraham going to do at this point? Is he going to trust God? Or is he going to take matters into his own hands again? Is he going to do what seems right in his own eyes? Is he going to trust God to provide? And we saw Abraham passes the test. He trusts in God's provision. He doesn't know the how. As he goes through this process, as he walks up that, that mountain of Moriah, he doesn't know how God is going to provide. But he knows the who. He knows that God is able to provide. He trusts God. He passes the test. And so we then come to this culmination of the story. Uh, and have your Bibles open. We're just going to go back at a few verses. Genesis 22. In verse 17, God says to Abraham, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. 
the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And we've got to this point now. Everything's in place. We're about to move forwards. We've got this amber light. And then we come to a genealogy. Now, I imagine a genealogy is not the most thrilling read for most of us here. Some of you may really love genealogies, but you know, for most of us, it's not really moving a story forward. We come to a genealogy, but when you think about it, a genealogy makes perfect sense. God has just made this promise. Now, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. Of course, the genealogy makes sense. We're moving forwards now into God's promise. So we come to verse 20, and we read of this genealogy of Nahor, Abraham's brother. Well, that's not right, is it? That's not what you would expect. This blessing of Abraham, and then we read of this genealogy of Nahor. We get this great promise that God makes to Abraham. We're expecting to move forwards in this story, and then all of a sudden, it seems to stall. We would expect it to move forward with this genealogy of Abraham's descendants. That would make logical sense, wouldn't it? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Now, now let's talk about this great nation that God makes Abraham into. But instead, we read about Nahor. What's happening here? Feels like the story stalls a bit. In fact, feels like it's kind of going backwards as we read on. Because far from Abraham's family growing, we get to chapter 23, and it diminishes. Sarah dies. So in Genesis 22, verse 17, we're all pumped, we're primed, we're ready to go. We see this amber light. And then we come to this account of genealogy of Nahor and of real estate. It's not the most thrilling read. It doesn't feel like a progression of the story. The story seems to stall. It feels like it's a bit in limbo. And yet, in many ways, that's kind of where we live a lot of our lives, isn't it? A lot of our lives is kind of some of this stuff here. It seems like the mundane, where it doesn't feel like the story is moving forward. So how do we live in these times? How do we live when life feels like it's in limbo? Well, two things from our passage this morning that we're going to consider. How do we live when life feels like it's in limbo? What do we need to consider? Well, when life is in limbo, God keeps on working. And we are to keep on walking, keep on walking by faith. Uh, We're going to consider God keeps on working. Where am I going to put this up up again? Here we go. Uh, So, yeah, do have a look uh, with me. Genesis 22, verse 20. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has born sons to your brother, Nahor. So as we said, we would expect, Genesis 22, verse 17, got this great promise, going to make you into a great nation. We come to a genealogy. Surely it would make sense that this is a genealogy of Abraham. Instead, we get this genealogy of Nahor. And then we're told about 12 sons that Nahor has. 
Now, Isaac, Abraham's son, is not mentioned. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't get mentioned. He drops off somewhere back in chapter 22, and we won't hear about him again until chapter 24. Instead, we read about Nahor's sons. And it kind of feels like, God, have you got this wrong here? You made this promise to bless Abraham, to make him fruitful, to multiply him. And now we're reading about Abraham's brother. There's no mention of Isaac. Now, what's going on here, God? This isn't part of the story that we expected. This isn't part of the plan, is it? And actually, God's not even explicitly mentioned uh, in the verses that we read this morning. Uh, the only place where God is sort of referenced is where the Hittites refer to Abraham as a mighty prince or a prince of God. We're in this passage that feels like it's in limbo, it's stalled. From what we look at from a cursory glance, things don't seem to be moving forward. Either God has got his plans muddled or he's just gone to sleep. And yet nothing could be further from the truth. Because when life is in limbo, when it feels like nothing is happening, God is still working. Now, even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, God is still working. Verse 20, sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother and has born sons to your brother Nahor. Uz, the firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Now, at this point in the story, that really doesn't mean much. But if we know what comes after, and if we come to Genesis 24, we see the significance of Rebekah. Rebekah becomes the wife of Isaac. And God's made this promise to Abraham, I'm going to multiply your descendants, make them more numerous than the stars in the sky, than the sand on the seashore. I'm going to do this through Isaac, but it's not going to happen through Isaac alone. Isaac's not enough. Isaac needs a wife. This is the way God has biologically designed it for them to increase and to multiply. Isaac needs a wife. And so we get this great promise here in Genesis 22, 17. We expect things to move forwards at a pace. Then we get this genealogy, this genealogy of Nahor. The story seems to stall, but actually this is God working. This is God working his purposes out. This isn't a distortion. This isn't a deviation from the plan. This is all part of the process. These descendants of Nahor and the birth of of Rebekah, this is part of God's process of fulfilling his promise in verse 17. And ultimately, now bringing his blessing and a blessing that will go to all nations. Now at this point, if we were just here, just focusing in on these verses, we wouldn't see it. Now we see it later when we come to chapter 24. See, even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, God is still working his purposes out. And even in those situations that seem to be working contrary to God's purposes, God is still working out his purposes. I'll just take a moment to to consider some of the things that we see on the news. And war in Ukraine. 
And we might wonder, how is God using this for his purpose? What is this achieving? And when we have those sorts of questions, the image that comes to mind is of someone making a willow basket. And if you look at it, you know, there are these rogue reeds that just seem to be shooting off in another direction, doing their own thing. But that's just because at this point in time, now you can't see how that reed is being woven into the basket. The basket maker is still working. And from that snapshot, we can't always see it. And God is still working his purposes out. And I've heard accounts from pastors in Europe speaking about the work that God is doing there. And these, these in, inherited, entrenched walls of hostility that have been built up between nations and even Christians within the nations are being broken down. And what is being seen on the ground there is something of an Ephesians 2 work of this wall of hostility being broken down. And where there was conflict... Through conflict, God is bringing a peace, a true peace, a gospel peace. And even in those times, it don't make sense to us and we can't understand what is happening. And yes, it is right that we pray for peace, but God is still working in those situations. Even when we can't see it, even when we don't understand it, even when it seems to be tangential to what we would expect God to do next, God is still working his purposes out. Life may feel like it's in limbo, like the story is not progressing, but God is moving things forwards. He is working his purposes out. And here God makes this unbreakable promise to Abraham, the God who cannot lie, swears an oath in his own name to show Abraham how certain and secure this promise is. There is a certain, there is a secure promise here that God will bring to its completion. And today as we sit here, we have an even greater confidence because we don't simply have a promise from God. We have a promise that is fulfilled in Christ. A promise that is fulfilled as we look, as we sang earlier, you know, turn your eyes to Jesus. And turn your eyes to the heavens because he's not on the cross, he's not in the grave, he is risen and he is exalted. And as we see, as we look at the resurrected Jesus, we see where the story ends. The future is brought into the present. You know, this week, uh, Orla was, um, she was watching a TV show, um, one called Mallory Towers. And she was, she's getting quite into it. But then all of a sudden, she was feeling somewhat anxious about what was happening on the show. There, was, there were rumors of a ghost in Mallory Towers. And Orla didn't like this. And she came and she spoke to me. She said, I, I, I don't like watching this, this program now. I'm like, what, what's happening? And what I had to do is I had to skip about seven episodes ahead and to show her what would happen. Be like, don't worry, it's not a ghost. It's this person and this is what's happening and this is what it's all working to. And all that anxiety, all that confusion that she had in that moment when she was looking at what was on the screen before her was suddenly put to rest She's like, well, well, now I can see. Now I see where it's going. Now that's what we have in Jesus Christ. We see where the story is heading. The future is brought into the present. And just as with Orla, you know, once you know what's going to happen in that episode, 
it doesn't really matter what's happening in all the episodes, isn't going to change what happens here. But they're all working together to bring you to that place. That's what we see as we look at Jesus Christ. We see God's ultimate purpose. We see where it's going. We see the future and we see that it's secure and that it ends in resurrection, in life, in death being swallowed up in victory of God's blessing of his rule and his reign being established over all creation. That's what we see as we look at the risen and ascended Jesus. And that is what God is working everything towards. Even when we can't see it, even when we don't understand it, that's where it's headed. God made this promise to Abraham. This genealogy of Nahor, it's not a diversion from that story. God is working events unseen into his greater story and he is doing the same today. Now, based on the, um, the age we read later of when Isaac marries Rebecca, there seems to be something maybe of a two to three year gap uh, between chapters 23 and 24. And we're introduced to Rebecca here in chapter 22, verse 22. Now, Isaac's not going to be introduced to her for probably another two, maybe three years, maybe slightly less. But again, the story seems to stall somewhat. Why doesn't he just move forwards at a pace? But God is still at work. And his timing is not our timing. Because his timing is perfect. At the appointed time, God will bring about what needs to be brought about. He will accomplish his purposes. And though there are times of waiting, times of waiting for Abraham, times of waiting for Isaac, times of waiting for us, though there are times of waiting, there is never a delay. God is never late. His timing is perfect. And when life feels like it's in limbo, sometimes we can easily you know, want to, to rush forwards and to speed things up. But because God is working, God continues to work. Now we can walk. We don't need to rush things on. We can trust in his timing. But neither do we need to be in limbo. When life feels like it's in limbo, we don't need to be in limbo. It's not that we just sit back and do nothing and I'm just going to switch off from life until God does something. Because God continues to work, we can continue to walk. We continue to walk by faith. And we live out in the present, in the light of the future. And that is what Abraham does here in chapter 23. Now, when life is in limbo, God keeps on working. We are to keep on walking. Walking in faith. Now, have a look at chapter 23. Verse 1 and 2. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kirith Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Now, in the news uh, this week, there was the, the horrific story of 51 human beings who died in a truck in Texas in conditions that weren't even fit for livestock. 
51 people desperate to try and build a better life. What they've been promised was a better life. Try to get over uh, into America and start anew. And 51 people were killed in that. And Mexico, the, the president of Mexico said that he and his government, they will support the families and they would help uh, in bringing the bodies back home, the, the repatriation of their bodies. That's to bring the bodies back home to their homeland to give them a dignified burial. And there's something that is seen as important in doing that, in bringing people home, even when they've died, this repatriation of a body. We see it in, when soldiers die on foreign soil. They're brought back to their home country. Culturally, it is an important thing, not just in Mexico, but around the world. Now, now personally, it may not be a big thing for you. If you died in another country, you may not care uh, where you're buried. But hopefully, you can recognize that culturally, this is seen as a significant thing to do. Bring someone back to their homeland so that they're not buried on foreign soil. Now, Sarah's just died. Abraham has been mourning for her. And in verse 3, we read, He rose from beside his dead wife, spoke to the Hittites, and said, I am a foreigner and stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so that I can bury my dead. Isn't that a bit odd? Just considering what, what we see in the world, what we see in our culture, the importance of this repatriation of a body, and Abraham comes to the Hittites and he says, look, I'm a foreigner, I'm a stranger. I'm standing on foreign soil. I want to buy some of that to bury my dead. Now, we might say, you know, okay, well, Abraham, perhaps his intention is to just take his wife's remain back to, to the land of her birth, to her homeland at a later point. But now he just needs to, to bury her somewhere. And the Hittites reply to Abraham, verse 6, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. But Abraham isn't looking for a temporary burial plot. And so he goes on to say to them, Now if you're willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, the son of Zohar, on my behalf, so that he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. And Abraham's asking for this permanent burial plot, not just something that he can use. The Hittites say, you can use any of our caves. And he's like, yeah, but I want to buy something. I want a permanent place. And so Ephron responds and he, he basically says, well, you can have the cave, but the field comes with it as well. And then there's, there's kind of a bit of back and forth. And it, it may be something along the lines of, you know, Abraham's offered a leasehold and he says, no, I want a freehold. I want a permanent burial place. And so verse 13, he responds, listen to me if you will. I will pay the price for the field Accept it from me so that I can my dead there. And Ephron 
uh, agrees. So he casually you know, names the price of the field. It's kind of the way that you do it in that culture. There's 400 shekels of silver, but what's that? Abraham's expected to pay, and Abraham does. This isn't a temporary interment. He's not looking for the equivalent of a mortuary where he can put Sarah and then at a later point return her body to her homeland. This is a permanent final place of burial that Abraham is looking for. Now, according to Google, the average cost for repatriation of body in the UK is £3,500. And that can range anywhere from 1800 to 17000 I can see Marion nodding. It's probably about fair, is it? Yeah. It's a lot of money. Because it's seen as an important thing. Honor, there's a love that goes with it. People will spend a lot of money doing this. Now, Abraham here spends 400 shekels of silver. That's an awful lot of money. To buy this field and to buy this cave to bury Sarah where? On foreign soil. This is not the way that you would do it. It normally doesn't make sense. What is Abraham doing here? Why is he burying Sarah on foreign soil? And the answer is because this would not remain foreign soil forever. If you just flick back to Genesis 15. And again, another great promise that, that God makes to Abraham. In Genesis 15, verse 18. Having made this covenant, he says to Abraham, To your descendants I give this land. From the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And God says to Abraham, I give you, I give your descendants this land, the land of the Hittites. See, Abraham's not burying his wife in foreign soil. He's burying her in her homeland. There's not a homeland yet, but it will be her homeland. And what Abraham is doing here is an act of faith. And though the story perhaps seems to be in limbo, Abraham isn't in limbo. But his actions, his decisions are based on the promise of God. And the present decision is made in light of that future guarantee of where God is taking things. And so when life feels like it's in limbo, you know, we keep on walking. We keep on walking like Abraham, walking in faith. And we walk in faith because God keeps on working. What does that mean for us? It means that our present decisions, our decisions now, our everyday decisions are made in the light of the future outcome. And what's that future outcome? We've already considered it. It's new creation, new creation in Christ, then the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the future is brought into the present. It is brought into view because we can see where it is going. The Christ is the first fruits. He guarantees what is going to happen. That is where history is heading. 
Uh, on one day, the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That there will be no more mourning, no weeping, no death, no decay, no sin, no defilement, no corruption. And so in the light of that future, what decision are you going to make today? And if as you listen to this, you're not a follower of Christ. And you don't know him yet. Well, then that's a very specific question for you. What decision are you going to make today? Are, are, you, going to, are you going to consider where the story is heading? Are you at least going to look into that? And when you see when you see God's faithfulness and what he has achieved and the promise that is given to us in Christ, what decision are you going to make today? Are you going to walk towards Jesus or are you going to turn away from that life and walk another way? That's a question that we all need to ask in our life. And even for those of us who have been following Christ for years, like every question, every decision uh, that, that comes to us. You know, we face many decisions uh, every day on a daily basis. Some of them are big, some of them are small, some are more significant than others. Things as small as what am I going to eat today? What am I going to wear? What am I going to watch on TV? Who am I going to marry? Am I going to get married? Am I going to stay single? Where am I going to live? Where am I going to work? Where am I going to study? And whilst there are responses to that that are clearly morally wrong, there were many of those questions actually somewhat morally neutral. And when life can feel like it's in limbo a bit in the everyday mundaneness of life, as we are waiting for Christ to return. Now, how do we make those wise decisions? And the world will tell you it's easy. You just follow your heart. In this situation, what does your heart tell you to do and just do that? Scripture tells us follow Christ. Look to Christ and follow Christ because a wise decision is an informed decision. And unless we consider where history is heading, unless we consider the glories of the new creation, then any decision that we make isn't an informed decision. We're not considering all the facts. And that does mean that in the present, we may make, you may make decisions that to other people seem foolish. Just as Abraham, you know, buying a, a plot of foreign soil to bury his wife and his, his family and future generations and seemed like a foolish decision, but in the light of God's promise, in the light of where everything was heading, it made perfect sense. What decision are you called to make this morning? Live your life. Make those decisions in the light of Jesus' certain return and the resurrection. Now, what does that mean for you this morning as you consider decisions that you have to make? Make those decisions in the light of the certainty of Jesus' return and the future resurrection. And what about us as a church? Kingfisher Church. It's the same. We, we make 
decisions. Make the present decisions now in the light of the certain future of Jesus' return and the resurrection. Now, this morning is, uh, providing everything is to plan, um, is due to be the last morning preach uh, that I will do here at Kingfisher as an assistant minister. And at some point, now as a church, you will need to consider, are you going to appoint another assistant? And what's that appointment going to look like? What's it mean to have an assistant minister? You'll, you'll need to make decisions about planting north of Little Paxton. And as you come to make those decisions, you know, there are many variables that need to be considered. But don't forget the one thing that is certain. There are many variables now that are uncertain, but the one thing that is certain is Jesus' return and the resurrection. And so when it comes to making those decisions in the coming months, in the coming years, now please make those decisions in light of the one thing that is certain. Because we can continue to walk and walk in faith. Even when things are uncertain, when life feels like it's in limbo. Because God is still working. When life feels like it's in limbo, we don't have to be. We can keep on walking. Because God keeps on working. He's working his purposes out. And what we see in Christ one day will be seen in us. And with that in mind, let's pray. Father, though there is much that we uh, don't know, much that we don't see, much that we don't understand now in the present, Lord, we thank you that the future is certain, that we have a promise, a promise that is fulfilled, a promise that is guaranteed. Lord, that it is certain that one day Christ will return and we will see him face to face. Lord, and there will be a final resurrection. Lord, give us eyes to, to see To see you continuing to work, to work all things together for that purpose. Uh, And so now, even in the midst of life feeling like maybe it's stored life, like it's in in limbo, that we keep on walking, we keep on walking in faith. Looking to what is ahead, looking to what is certain, looking to what we see in Christ. Lord, may we encourage and build one another up. And with this confidence that we have. Lord, and may our hearts long for that day. When our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ returns. Lord, and as we see him, that we shall, we shall be like him as we see him. Lord, indeed, as he is. Amen. And we're going to sing again.